0: Okay, all right, we're in chapter 26, paragraph 5, and we are on this chapter that is talking about the church, which is why Psalm 133 is a fitting uh, psalm, because it is good when brothers dwell in unity. And that is, certainly we want that to be true in uh, our homes and here and there, but ultimately he's talking about the church. Whenever the brothers, the saints, those in the church, Whenever there's unity in our dwelling, in the way that we are living and loving one another. So we need to understand then what is the church? What is the church? What is its purpose and function? And what does it mean to be a part of the body of Christ? That's what this chapter is dealing with. So we'll begin in paragraph 5, chapter 26, paragraph 5. It says, In exercising the authority entrusted to him, The Lord Jesus, through the ministry of His Word by His Spirit, calls to Himself out of the world those who are given to Him by His Father. They are called so that they will live before Him in all ways of obedience that He prescribes for them in His Word. Those who are called, He commands to live together in local societies or churches for their mutual edification and the fitting conduct of public worship that He requires of them. While they are in the world. So, here, this chapter is teaching both how it is that we enter into the church of Christ, right? We are brought into the church through the Lord Jesus Christ by the ministry of the word and the ministry of the spirit. All right, we are not naturally, in our natural state when we come into the world, we're not a part of the true church. Now, it's good for us to raise our children in church, right? To bring our children. Uh, to public worship, where they're going to hear the word of God, for them to be in Bible study, for them to be hearing these things. But we're not born into that regenerate state. We're born dead in our trespasses and sins, just like the rest of mankind. But as we've seen, to be a member of the church in the true sense, right, to be a member of the spiritual people of God, we must be born again, right? We must be born not of this present world, not naturally, but we must have new birth or spiritual birth. And this comes about by the Lord of the church, Jesus Christ, who is the one that calls people out of the world and brings them into his own kingdom, right, into the kingdom of the Son. And this he does through the ministry of the word by his spirit, So he calls us out of the world through his word by his spirit. So there, we've talked about this before, there's both the outward call and there is the inward call. Both of these are necessary for someone to be a child of God. The outward call is broad and wide, right? We we are to call as many people as will listen to us, we are to call them to faith and repentance. Whether they believe or not, and we don't know, we're not guaranteed, that every single person who hears the gospel is going to believe the gospel. That's never been the case, and never will be. Many of the prophets, many of the apostles preached the word of God, they gave the outward call, and that call fell on deaf ears. This is the parable of the soils that our Lord Jesus Christ teaches. He's explaining why it is that though many people hear the gospel, why is it that so few believe? Why doesn't everyone who hears it believes it? And that's because it's necessary for the gospel, the seed of the word of God, in order for it to produce fruit, it has to fall upon good soil. If it falls on bad soil, it's not going to produce good fruit. And the outward call, the preaching of the word of God, it does not fall on good ears only. It falls on some that are deaf, some that are hard hearted, some that have a forehead of bronze and they will not believe and they will not repent. So there are many who are called, many who hear the word, but not everyone who hears the word believes the word. But who are the ones who believe? those who are called effectually, right? Those who receive the inward call, and this is the call of the Holy Spirit. He is the one that causes a man or a woman to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ for his eternal salvation. And only the Spirit can do this. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. Right? It is the Spirit who gives life. He is the one who effectually moves in a person and causes them to be born again. Gives them the gift of faith so that they believe in the word of God that they have heard to their eternal salvation. And this calling is under the authority of Jesus Christ. He is the one, Christ, Lord of the church, is the one who sends the spirit to call his elect ones out of the world and bring them into his kingdom. So he is the one that seeks the lost sheep and brings them back into the fold and this is his exercising his authority given to him by the father over the church through his word through his spirit he calls to himself those that are in the world that have been given to him by the father he brings them out of the world and into his kingdom given to him by God in the the sense of election God has elected them predestined them for salvation But in our experience, we live some period of time in our life dead in our trespasses and sins. In that we have not received that salvation. But in due time, according to God's perfect timing, according to his will, he sends the word, he sends the spirit, and he calls us out of the world and gives to us eternal life. Okay, John chapter 10. John chapter 10, and this then is showing that it is necessary for us to be called by Christ in order to enter into the church in the true sense, not by the will of man, but by the will of God. Okay, John chapter 10, and we'll start reading in verse 1. John chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all of his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to st- steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand, not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative." I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. So there, Jesus in verse 16, he says that he has other sheep which are not of this fold. Here he's talking about sheep among the Gentiles. He has sheep that are among the Jews, and he has sheep that are among the Gentiles. Not all Jews are sheep, and not all Gentiles are sheep. But some among the Jews are sheep. And some among the Gentiles are sheep, those that have been given to him by the Father. And what will he do with those sheep that are among the Gentiles? He's going to bring them in also. Into what? Into the one flock of God, into the fold. And they're going to have, there's going to be one flock and one shepherd. And how is it that they're going to be brought in? They will hear my voice. When the voice of Christ goes out into the world... Those that are his sheep, who have been given to him by the Father, when they hear the voice of Christ, what do they do? They come to him. They follow him. This is how we know if someone is a sheep of Christ. Do they follow the word of Christ? If they don't follow the word of Christ, then they're not a sheep of Christ. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. They follow me. So here it is the voice of Christ that brings them into the fold of Christ, his voice in his word and his voice working through his spirit. The word and the spirit work in union, in conjunction to bring about the salvation of the sinner and to call the lost sheep into the fold of Christ so that they're no longer lost in the wilderness, but now they are in the fold, which is the church, which is where we are Then we have one flock and one shepherd, not a Jewish church and a Gentile church, but Jews and Gentiles together in one church with the same shepherd, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right. Worshiping and serving God together in one body. John chapter 12. John 12, verse 31 says, Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. So here, Christ, when he speaks of being lifted up from the earth, right? Lifted up in what sense? Lifted up on the cross, right? He's going to be lifted up on the cross, And when he's lifted up in this way, through his death, his resurrection for the forgiveness of sins, he will draw all men to himself. Now, when he says draw all men to himself, does he mean draw in the sense in that he's going to give all men the opportunity to be saved? Or does he mean that he will draw effectually, he will actually save all men, not meaning every single person who's ever lived, but all kinds of men. All kinds of people in the world that are spread throughout the world. Some men from all the world. And that's the way he means it. He will draw all men, not every single person, because we know that not all men have faith and not everyone's going to be saved. So we cannot mean draw them in the sense of every single person who hears the gospel is going to be saved. But everyone who hears the gospel effectually, they will be saved. And that is the work of the word and the spirit combined. Next sentence says, they are called so that they will live before him in all the ways of obedience that he prescribes for them in his word. So here, the sheep, those that are called out of the world, brought into the flock of God, those that are saints and part of the church of Christ, they're going to live before Christ in all ways of obedience that he prescribes for them in his word. Whatever's in the Bible, that's what they're going to want to do. They're going to want to obey Christ. Now again, he doesn't mean that they're going to perfectly obey him. It's impossible that that's what he means because we know that no one has perfect obedience. But he means it in the sense that they will have complete obedience, that their desire is to obey Christ. And as they go through life, and as they read the Bible, as they're taught the word of God, as they have more experiences, they're going to grow more and more so that their life is conformed in many ways to the very life of Christ. And they want to live a life of obedience that is prescribed in the word of God. That's why they hunger and thirst for the word of God. They love the word of God because in the word of God, they find the will of Christ and they want to obey Christ, right? This is, again, what we talked about this morning. All that matters is conforming our life to the life of Christ. This is one of the evidences that someone is a child of God or that someone is one of the sheep of Christ. He wants to live as Christ. He wants his life to conform to the life of Christ in all things. Matthew chapter 28 Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So here in this, what's called the Great Commission, when Christ is commissioning his apostles and also his church, he is calling us to make disciples of all nations, right? Go into all the nations, preach the gospel, and as many as believe that gospel, that they are to be made into disciples of Christ. And when you are discipling them, you're to teach them what? To observe all that I've commanded you. So not some that I've commanded you, but all that I've commanded you. Everything commanded by Christ is to be taught. That's why we need to teach the Bible cover to cover. Cover to cover, every word of God is true because every word in here is the command of Christ. And that should be our goal, is to teach every word of God and to leave none of it out. That's what we hope to do, Lord willing. If God gives us enough time and long enough ministry to preach through the whole Bible from cover to cover. We're on our way. We're on our way. We're not there yet, but that's the goal. Okay. And not to skip any of it, right? Not to get to a hard part and just jump over it, right? If we did that, you would be appalled if if we did those kinds of things. This is why people don't like to preach through books of the Bible, because when you're going verse by verse, you're kind of... uh, pinning yourself into a corner. Because if you start jumping over verses, people are going to say, hey, what about verse 25? You just skipped right over that verse. You didn't say anything about it. Or you jumped right over that chapter. But if you do topics, topics, then you can just jump around wherever you want and go to passages that you know aren't going to be controversial, and then everyone's going to be happy with you. So that's why day in and day out, the tradition that we have established is to teach verse by verse, through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, line by line, and to go in that way so we can't skip anything. Even when we get to something hard, you still got to address it and just say this is what it says and leave it there for the people. Okay, next. It says, those who are called, he commands, to live together in local societies or churches for their mutual edification and the fitting conduct of public worship that he requires of them while they are in the world. So those that are called by Christ, right, we're called individually, right? We hear the gospel. It's a, something that Christ does within us personally, but whenever we are converted, we are brought into the family of God, brought into the church or into the body of Christ. So there is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian, somebody who's out there I'm a Christian and I just do my own thing. I don't go to church. They'll typically say because, you know, the church is filled with a bunch of hypocrites. Well, maybe you're a hypocrite, sir. Maybe that's what this person is. That's what they'll make excuses for why they don't have to be a part of the church. Now, again, no church is perfect. There's going to be issues that come up, but that's no excuse to neglect the body of Christ. We can't neglect the body of Christ. How can we say we love the head but we hate the body. How can we be devoted to the head and yet neglect the arms and the legs and the feet and the rest of the body, right? To say that we love the husband, but we hate his wife. We can't be like that. No way. If someone said that to me, well, we really like you, but we hate your family. Well, that would be very offensive to me. Wasn't that what people do to Christ? We love you, Christ. We just hate your church. Well, no, we shouldn't be like that at all. So whenever we are converted, We are to form ourselves into local or particular societies or churches, a church, a body, right? Which is not dealing with the building, but it's dealing with the people, the gathering of the people who meet together regularly so that they can worship God, so that they can edify and encourage one another and for the proper discipline that is necessary for the church of Christ. So this is what needs to happen. We need to live together in local societies or churches for mutual edification, the fitting conduct of public worship that he requires while they are in the world. This is necessary in this present life. We cannot live the Christian life on our own. It's impossible. We have to be in the body of Christ. And whenever we neglect that, we're doing it to our own detriment, to the detriment and harm of our own soul and the souls of our family, right? So where we go to church, what we do at church has everything to do with our eternal souls. It has everything to do with our salvation. And that is why it is necessary for us to be in a church, but not any church, but to be in a church that's teaching the Bible, taking the things of God seriously, who's committed to worshiping God the proper way, not just any way that they want, right? So that's what we should desire to do. Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Matthew 18, 15 says, "'If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private.'" If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. So here, he's dealing with discipline within the context of the local church, right? Whenever there's a sin between one brother and another, You deal with it privately between you and him alone. But then if he doesn't listen, then you take two or three others with you. Two or three others from where? Just random strangers that we find out on the the road? No, it's within the church, right? It's within the body. You take two or three others, and then if he won't listen to the group, then you bring it to the church before the body of Christ, before the collective whole of the entire church, and then you tell it to them. And then if he won't listen... He becomes as a tax collector or a Gentile. And then he says, where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am in their midst, right? So it doesn't mean a church has to have 500 people, a hundred people for it to be a church. No, it's just however many Christians are there in that region, in that area, maybe it's 20 or 30, maybe it's a hundred, maybe it's two or three. Whatever it is, those two or three or those 20 or 30 They need to gather together for edification, for church discipline, for public worship, to do those things that are necessary to be done within the confines of the church. So when Christ calls a person into salvation, he is making them a part of the church. And it is impossible for them to exist and do the will of God apart from being involved in the local church this is what we need to do, be a part of these local assemblies and be as involved as we possibly can be. The more involved we are, the better it's going to be for us, right? The better it's going to be. Now, of course, there are limitations. There are things that might hinder us that are legitimate from being as involved as we would like to be, especially today because um, good churches are few and far between. So some people have to drive a great distance we just have to make the most of it. Make the most of it and be as involved as we possibly can be, and it's going to be for our benefit and the benefit of our families. Okay, next. Chapter 26, paragraph 6. It says, The members of these churches are saints by calling, visibly displaying and demonstrating in and by their profession and life their obedience to the call of Christ. They willingly agreed to live together according to Christ's instructions giving themselves to the Lord and to one another by the will of God with a stated purpose of following the ordinances of the gospel. So here, the members of the churches are saints by calling. This is the priesthood of the believers or that we are saints. So saints in the Roman Catholic sense is unbiblical. It is unbiblical, it is heretical, and we should reject it, right? In the Roman Catholic church, there are only some people who reach sainthood, right? Those people who reach sainthood, they don't have to go to purgatory, which is an invention of the Roman Catholics. So it's it's not reality. It's not real. It's something that they've made up, a lie from the devil. But they believe in a place called purgatory that the majority of Christians go to purgatory before they make it to heaven and they have to pay off the remaining sins that they have in this life in purgatory. And then after that, then they'll go uh, to heaven. And that's where most Roman Catholics will go when they die is to purgatory. And then they'll pay off their sins for a thousand years, a million years, however long it takes. And then eventually they'll get to heaven. But in the Roman Catholic church, those that are saints, they go straight to heaven. They go straight to heaven and they have so many virtues and so much grace that they can actually give some of their grace to you so that you can get out of purgatory. This is all, it's a big scam, folks. It's a big scam. You can get out of purgatory faster and you can get to heaven as well. And that's why they pray to the saints. They pray to the saints for the saints to give them grace they go on pilgrimages to go see uh, the sepulcher of the St. Thomas or whoever, this person or that person. You know, they want to touch uh, uh, the jawbone of this donkey. They want to touch the teeth of uh, John the Baptist. You know, and if you do those things, it's going to rub off on you and it's going to get you, you know, cut a couple hundred years out of purgatory. It's going to be great, okay? This is what they say. It's all a big, a, a big load of uh, baloney, okay? And I'm not talking about Smoke baloney, we're talking bad baloney. This stuff is rotten to the core and no one wants anything to do with it. Okay, so that's what they teach. The Bible teaches that all Christians, all true believers are saints. They are saints in that they have been sanctified and they have been set apart by God out of this world and they belong to Christ, right? We belong to him. So the members of the church are all saints by calling. When Christ calls us, he makes us into a saint, okay? And this sainthood is displayed. Displayed, it's demonstrated first by the profession, because when we are called, we make the good profession of faith. Not in a dingy, dark basement, but we openly, publicly confess Jesus Christ as our Lord. Isn't that what we do when we become believers? He is my Lord, I own him, he owns me, he is my God, I am his son, I'm gonna follow him, I'm gonna serve Christ, right? That's the profession of faith. So we make our sainthood known first by our profession, so that's at the beginning of our salvation, and then we continue to make our sainthood known in our life, in the obedience to the call of Christ. So that we are saints is visibly manifested both in our profession and in the way that we live, the way that we live. Okay, number 12. Okay, Romans chapter 1. And this is important because many people claim to be saints, and they would say that they're saints because they made a profession of faith when they were very young. Some of them, it's the first words that they ever speak. I believe in you No, I'm just kidding. But uh, th- this is how young they can do it. You know, when they're three, four years old, they make a profession of faith, but then they live a godless life. Well, that profession is no good. It stinks because a profession without a godly life is no profession at all. It's a false profession. It's not true. It's not real. So the profession and the life, they have to go together. They're always connected together the true profession, which is believing the true doctrines, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, and it always produces in the person godly living, right? That they will live a righteous life uh, and they will seek to do the will of God. Romans 1 verse 7. Romans 1 verse 7 says, To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints... Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So there, to be a Christian, to be a believer, to be a child of God, right, is to be beloved of God and it is to be a saint. So it's just another synonym, another word used to describe a Christian in the Bible. So all believers are saints. This according to the Apostle Paul because he's not just writing this letter to a select group of Christians within the church, those who have attained this higher level of righteousness than anyone else. Now, who's he writing the letter to? Everybody, right? The whole congregation. Everyone who is a Christian in Rome, he is calling all of them saints. Also, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2 it says, To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So there, the church, which is the body of believers in, at Corinth, They're the ones who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, and they are saints by calling. Along with who? Everyone in every place who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So anyone in any place who calls upon Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're saints. They are saints, whether they're in Corinth, whether they're in Rome, Galatia, Ephesus, Shawnee, Meeker, wherever we find ourselves, so Paul put back there, right? Wherever we are, Bethel Acres, don't want to leave anyone out. Uh, Del City. Uh, then we are saints by calling through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's for all believers. Okay, next it says, They willingly agree to live together according to Christ's instructions, giving themselves to the Lord and to one another by the will of God with the stated purpose of following the ordinances of the gospel. There, he says, they willingly agree to live together. Right. Willingly, not begrudgingly, not kicking and screaming, not pulling their teeth. They willingly agree to live together. This is the way we should be toward church, toward gathering together, toward meeting together. Something that we do willingly, not something that we have to be browbeat into. Not We shouldn't have to harass people and browbeat them, and beg them to come to church. Because they should want to do this. This should be a natural desire for the child of God. They willingly want to obey Christ. And because Christ calls them to meet together, they want to be with Christ's body, with his people. How can we love Christ, and be with Christ, and not be with his people? The way we love Christ, the way we show our love of God in this world is in two ways, love of his word and love of his people. That's how we love God in this world. Well, where do we do both of those things at the same time? Right here when we gather together, because what are we doing? We're teaching the word of God. And who are we with? The people of God. So a person that neglects regularly the gathering together, the fellowship of the saints, who does not willingly meet, is showing, evidencing that they have no love for God. No matter what boasts they make about their love for God. If they don't love the word of God and the people of God, they don't love God. No matter what it is that they may say about themselves. Psalm 110. Psalm 110. Notice here. Psalm 110 verse 3 says, your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. In holy array from the womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as the dew. They're your people, this being the people of Christ. Christ's people, his church, will volunteer freely in the day of your power. This is what he does in the life of the believer because his spirit is there and the spirit causes us to walk in the ways of Christ to delight in the law of the Lord, to delight in the pathway of righteousness. That's why they volunteer themselves freely, willingly. They come in the day of power. Well, what they're doing on the day of power is what they have done throughout all of their life, willingly giving themselves to the commandments of Christ. And one of those is to meet together. A big one, right? A big one. The fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And also don't forsake assembling together as is the habit of some, that this is to be a part of what we do as Christians in our Christian life. So it is something we do willingly to live together in harmony, right? In unity in the body of Christ, according to his instructions, giving ourselves to the Lord and to one another, right? We give ourselves to the Lord, And we give ourselves to one another, right, one another. If we love Christ, we will keep his commandments, right? And if we say that we love God, but we hate our brother, the love of God is not found within us. So this is the way we show our love for God. And our love for Christ is our love for his body, for his body and for his word. Okay, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and we'll start reading in verse 37. Acts 2, 37 says, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. in breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So there, after these people are converted, right, that's what happens early on in verse 37, 38, 39, right? In verse 41, God adds 3,000 souls then immediately, what do we find them doing? They're living within the context of the church. They're meeting together regularly. This is what they're practicing. They're loving one another. They're caring for one another. They're thinking about one another. They're not self-centered, right? They're thinking about one another and using their own possessions to to benefit other people, to benefit one another. Now, when it says that they had all things in common, he doesn't mean that they instituted communism there in the early church or instituted socialism where everyone sold everything and it all went into a common pot. It, they, of course, they, they had still had their own private possessions, but they were treating their own private possessions as if they belonged to everyone else in that whenever someone had need, they would sell what was theirs in order to meet the need of another person. This is the love, the care that they had for one another and they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer, living a simple, quiet life, a sincere life, a devout life, loving God and loving one another. This is what they're doing, and God is blessing them in this endeavor by adding to their number more and more, and they're praising God and awe and wonder is coming upon many people as a result of these things. Acts chapter 5 Acts 5, verse 13. It says, But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their number. So there, added to their number, right? Meaning there was a number There was a understood group that was a part of the church of Christ. And when people were converted, then they were added to that number. They became a part of that fellowship, that body, that church. So when they were converted or when they were added, then they were added to the church. They became members of the body of Christ. So they weren't saying, okay, I'm a Christian, but I don't want to be a part of the church. No, to be a Christian was to be initiated into the church, was to become a member and an active participant in the activities of the local church. And this is the way it should be today as well. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter nine. 2 Corinthians chapter nine and verse six. 2 Corinthians 9.6 says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed, as it is written. He scattered abroad, he gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed in sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So here, the apostle in 2 Corinthians Chapter nine, 8 and 9, he's encouraging the church to fulfill an obligation and a commitment that they had made to take up a collection to send to the church in Jerusalem that was going to be suffering because of a harsh trial. And so these churches are gathering a collection that then the apostle is going to deliver to the saints in Jerusalem in order to help them during a trial that is coming upon The saints there. And in verse 13, he says there, because of the proof given by this ministry, right, this ministry, your contribution, your care for them is going to serve as proof to them that the gospel really does reside and has really been known effectually among the Gentiles, because this is a Gentile church taking up an offering to go and to help a Jewish church there in Jerusalem. So this proof, this ministry is going to vindicate and validate that you truly have believed the gospel and that you are a true church of Christ and that there is only one church made up of the full number of Jews and Greeks that are saved by Christ, that there is one body of Christ. It says, and they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel. The church in Jerusalem is going to praise and glorify God because they're going to see their obedience to their confession. They made a confession of faith in Christ, and now their confession is being manifested in their obedience to the command of Christ, to love your neighbor as yourself and to do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. And who are they doing good to? They're doing good to the household of faith, though they likely did not know hardly any of the saints in Jerusalem. Yet because they are saints, because they are fellow members of the household of faith, they are taking up this offering in order to help them. So they're not just concerned about their own well-being. They're not saying, well, we got to look after ourselves first, and then after we make sure we have everything, then we'll look after them. No, they're not doing that. They have a need, a desperate need in Jerusalem, and therefore we need to help them. This also goes along with Romans chapter 15, right? For if they have come to share in, your, in spiritual blessings, you ought to be a benefit to them in material blessings. The Gentiles shared in the spiritual blessings of the Jews because the ones that took the gospel to the Gentiles at first were Jewish Christians. So they came to share in the spiritual blessings because the church in Jerusalem sent out missionaries, sent out disciples and apostles into the Gentile world for their own salvation. Well, they did this for your spiritual good. Now they have a physical need, so what should you do for them? You ought to meet their physical need. This is just, it's fair and it's right, and that's what the Corinthian church is doing. And when they do this, it proves to the church in Jerusalem that they're all part of the same body, that they're all saints and members of the household of faith, their liberality, their contribution is going to affirm this reality, right? So you see then that they have care and concern for not only themselves, but other churches and other saints wherever they are found. And this is the way that we ought to be. We ought to do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. And we ought to be joined together in the body of Christ, right? So that we can live the Christian life together. So that we can help each other. That we can encourage one another, right? If, if a man falls and he doesn't have someone with him, who's going to help him up? But if he has a companion with him, then he's going to help him up, right? A cord of three strands is not easily broken. This is what we need. We need to be together in the body of christ so that we can help one another out and without that we're going to fall to our own ruin and destruction and this is why christ determines that for our own benefit that we are to live the christian life within the confines of the body of christ and this is where we practice much of our faith our obedience our righteousness is here within the church so we should give ourselves to one another love one another care for one another uh not think of our own interest, but also the interest of others, and seek to build each other up in the faith, to cause each other to persevere and endure until we all reach the end of our faith, which is the salvation of our soul. Isn't that what we want? Don't we all want to reach the heavenly city? Well, we're pilgrims right now, sojourners, making our way to the heavenly city, and we need each other. We're we're traveling as a merry band of uh, travelers, right? Down the road together, helping each other out. And if one stumbles and falls, then we have the body there to help and to pick them up. And if someone begins to lag behind and wants to turn back, we have people there to encourage them and to help them. Right? If someone gets sick, then we have someone there to come to edify them, to build them up, to pray for them, to do all those things together. That's what we need to be doing. And this is what Christ commends to us, and it's going to be for our good, for the good of our wives, for the good of our children, for us to live in this type of way. So let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, and Lord, we do thank you that when you save a man, Lord, you do not leave him to his own devices. Lord, you do not leave us to figure out the Christian life on our own. But, Lord, you form us into a church, and, Lord, you place us within a body, Lord, for our benefit, for our edification, Lord, to build us up in our faith, Lord, so that we can advance and grow in our Christian life. Lord, how can we love you if we neglect your word and if we neglect your people? Lord, it's impossible that someone would be your child and yet hate your family. So, Lord, we pray that we would see that um, while in, in so much of the world, and Lord, especially today, even in the churches, uh, church attendance, Lord, church involvement, these things are, are looked down upon. Lord, they're not emphasized. People don't take those things seriously. But Lord, may that not infect us. Lord, may we see how important it is that we meet together, and may we willingly have a this desire, Lord, to be together with your people, Lord, in order to help each other and to build one another up. So, Lord, we pray that you would bind our hearts together, Lord, that we would dwell in unity with one another, Lord, that we would be concerned not only for our own interest, but also for the interest of others, Lord, especially those of the household of faith. And, Lord, we pray that you would build us up together and help us, Lord, to encourage and strengthen one another, Lord, until we all attain to maturity in the body of Christ. So, Lord, be with us. Lord, be as we go from here. Give us safety as we travel home. Lord, we pray that you bless us this week. Lord, that we would walk in your ways. Help us to be obedient to you. And Lord, bring us back together again on Wednesday, Lord, where we might study your word and fellowship with one another. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.